morning to you. Um, pleasure to be with you, and a pinch hitter always uh, walks a fine line because you never know if he's going to get another at-bat. Uh, but yeah, I'm pinch hitting for Jeff. We're so excited that Jeff's joined us at Grace Point. He's our uh, Bell Campus pastor and just started a, like a month and a week ago, something like that. So with him, as Keith mentioned, with him settling in, uh, it was a little difficult this morning for him to be here. And I said, well, if they'll have me, I'll be there. And then next time when they invite you, you'll look really good. So uh, it's really good to be here. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. And it's a, it's, a, it's a great view that you have. Better view than Grace Point has. So it's very good. Would you still your heart in prayer with me uh, before we jump into the word? Your word is truth, O Lord, and you have worked through the ages in the depths of your people and those you long and desire and yearn to make your people. So teach us today and lead us and open our hearts and our minds and move our feet for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Begin with a question, if, and, and in just a little bit, I'm going to actually ask you to write something down so you can be prepared for that either on a, on a little uh, piece of paper or something, grab a pen. But if, if your name really reflected who you were, what would your name be? Let's give that some thought for just a second. During our teenage years, of course, uh, at least among guys, is the time when you mostly know another guy by his nickname, not his real name. And this, you can pick up your name, your nickname in a variety of ways. I had a friend who was a, always a head taller than the rest of us, and his nickname was Moose. And for years, that's how everybody knew Moose. It was by Moose. He was just Moose. In fact, his car was the Moose Mobile. It was just Moose. His real name was Terry, and now, of course, when you talk to him, it's... It doesn't feel quite right to say moose. He's older than I am, and that makes him really old. So, uh, so but, but moose was this one that stuck for a long time. And then, then there was another friend of ours uh, who was always concerned about his hair, and he was especially uh, concerned about impressing the ladies. And so his nickname was Spiff. And Spiff uh, would constantly have a comb in his pocket, and he's always doing this, which doesn't work for this. So, uh, so he's always doing this. And, and one night we were at this youth event playing this game. And for, I think it was called Horses, Knights, and Cavaliers. Anybody ever play that? You basically end up sitting on each other's backs and laps and stuff like that for Horses, Knights, and Cavaliers. And at uh, one point, this, this girl who was a part of this other youth group that we were hanging out with, uh, and we knew that Spiff had eyes for her just from that very first encounter because he had great eyesight. And, and uh, all of a sudden, the, the game came to a stop and she ended up sitting on his back and the first thing out of Spiff's mouth was, wow, you're heavy. <laughs> Which led the rest of us to think, actually, I think we've misnamed him. He should just be stupid <laughs> because that was the end of the road for any chance that Spiff had with this fine young lady. 
So perhaps you can think of some people in your life who have been named by their nicknames. Some guy, and, and I played a lot of hockey growing up, and there's actually some guys I know only by their nickname. I don't even know their real name because in the context of a hockey dressing room, it's just Dino. Dino, yeah, he actually kind of looks like Dino from Fred Flintstone comics. And that's how he got his name. And the people call him Dino. I still don't know his real name. What was his name? I don't know. He's just Dino. And then actually, when, when I was a kid, I had a lot of, uh, I, had, I had nicknames thrown at me, some of which ended up hurting. And maybe, maybe you know and have experienced that along the way too. One of the names that was given to me was, and I was uh, a bit larger when I was a little guy, uh, still trying to shake that. But uh, uh, one of the names that somebody labeled me with along the way was the Fillsbury Doughboy. Now, that's creative. Marks for creativity, but it hurt. The Fillsbury Doughboy. Because uh, uh, they're not referencing my ability to bake. So words can hurt. And then my mom, and I remember getting this book out of the library, and my mom telling me, okay, read this book because the, the names that people are calling you, go read this book. It's sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt them. That's bullarkey. It's a lie because I sometimes would have rather had somebody throw a stick or a stone at me because you can grab it and throw it back. But a word sticks and it hurts. And, and of course, then over the years, I've done my fair share of wounding another with a name that I've given them. And I can remember a few times when that's happened from my lips as well. So all of these things come about and the names that we bear uh, can leave a mark for good or ill. Uh, in the world of so celebrity, of course, there's always different names given to people and, uh, and ones that will stick as well. So one very famous person has had a really rough time of the last year and a half or so, and uh, you'll probably recognize his nickname, but not his real name. His real name's Eldon. But in the world in which social media and TSN and all these places function, his name is Tiger. And you know exactly who he is when you hear Tiger, but nobody knows that Eldon Woods, that that's his real name. A few years ago, a uh, football player, and for those of you who are NFL fans, that looks like that strikes over and there'll actually be football this fall. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, but there's, a, there's a, a football player for the Cincinnati Bengals named Chad Johnson. Uh, he's number 85, and he has such a high esteem of himself, and apparently of the number 85, that he went and legally changed his last name to Ochocinco. And so Chad Ochocinco plays wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, and is, it's kind of this weird thing where on his back of his jersey it says Ochocinco, and then it has the number 85, where you'd think if he really did this right, it would say Ochocinco and have the letters C. J for Chad Johnson, right? Instead of the number. But uh, he, he, he saw so much in this number and his identity in this number that for a time he even said he was going to change his name to, and I have to read it because I'll mess it up, Hachigo, which is Japanese for 85. And so he was even going to think of legally changing his name to that. And then he realized probably through a conversation with his wife that this was getting out of hand. 
and he wanted to change his back, name back to Johnson, Chad Johnson, but the problem was he had run out of money. And so it was getting too expensive to do all these name-changing things. If your name reflected who you were, what would it be? If your name was the descriptor of your character, the descriptor of what meant the most to you, the descriptor of what others thought meant the most of you when they observed your life, what would it be? And maybe you could take just a second and write that word down. My full name is Philip, lover of horses, is what that means. Horses are okay, but... I didn't, I didn't choose it. Uh, it was given to me because my parents knew a Philip. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even based on the Philip of the Bible. It was based on this guy they knew named Philip that they thought was a really great guy, and so they named me Philip. My middle name is Michael. Now, that has some weight to it. That's an angelic name from the scriptures, but it also is the name of my great-grandfather. Uh, so that name's passed down, and it continues to pass down through my family. Our names matter. Our names become our identities. What would your name be if it reflected who you were? You see, in the Old Testament, names meant a lot. In an ancient world, and actually still in some cultures, what you name a child really matters. Of course, we've named children five times, and there's all kinds of great stories around that. Uh, But parents wrestle with the name of a child. I mean, we're saddling a kid with this name for the rest of their life. We better give some thought to it, right? I really wish Philip would have been thought through a little bit better. Uh, But oftentimes what happens in our culture, or it feels like it anyway, is that we tend to choose names a little bit more on how they sound than what they actually reflect. And some of us will dig deep and find that perfect name that means the perfect thing in Hebrew when it's translated into the Greek and then translated through Spanish, through Ocho Cinco into English. And then it means this, uh, because we're looking for something of value. Others, it's just the sound. We just like that name. Uh, In the Old Testament, names reflected who it appeared this person would be the moment they popped into the world. And so, in the Old Testament, your name meant something, and it became your identity. And so, if you think back all the way to Genesis 1... The first man is named, we participate here, okay, so the first man's named Adam, which means man, <laughs> brilliant. Eve, what does her name mean? Life giver, the mother of all the living. Now that sounds cool, right? Eve, life giver, but it reflects really who she is, doesn't it? The name means something. What is given to humanity at the very beginning by God is the task of naming, of going through the garden and going through creation saying, that's a giraffe or whatever it was in the first language that Adam managed to round up. Naming becomes such an important part of who we are because when we name something, we take an authority over that. We take an ownership over that. We place an identity upon it. What would your name be? In Genesis 25, and I know you've been going through Genesis, so I'm just going to perhaps recap a little bit of what you've already been looking at 
uh, to set the stage for where we'll end up. In Genesis 25, there's the story of a man named Isaac. And by the way, what does Isaac mean? Thank you. Laughter. Isaac means laughter. Is your name Isaac? There's Isaac. Ah, cool. Isaac means laughter. Why was he named he laughs or laughter? Because Sarah, his mother, gave birth and laughed, which may have meant that she was full of joy or that Isaac was very ugly. But uh, he laughs, Isaac, right? And so Isaac bears this name, and in Genesis 25, Isaac uh, and his wife, Rebecca, we begin to hear the story of their life. Rebecca had been barren for many years. She finally gives birth to not one, but two, a set of twins. And the first to come out was red and hairy, and so he was named Esau, which means hairy. He's red and he's hairy. And he also, uh, over time in the scriptures, you'll see the name Edom in the Old Testament. Edom are the people who came out of the line of Esau, and it's, they're, they're the Reds. It's like the Cincinnati Edoms. Okay? And so uh, when the second boy comes out of that birth canal, he is grasping the heel of Esau, of his brother, who's heading out ahead of him. And so he is named Jacob, which literally means he grasps at the heel and is a figurative way of saying he deceives or he's a cheater. He's trying to get his way out. And so Harry Red and the deceiver cheater enter the world at almost the same time and they grow up as twin brothers, but they're very, very different. Esau grows up, and he's a skilled hunter. He loves to get out there in the bush with a, with a shotgun and blow away some poor antelope wandering through the hillsides and drag it home to eat. Jacob, on the other hand, is the guy around the tents, loves to cook, loves to create things around the home. And so their differences cause a split, actually, between mom and dad as well. Isaac, who loves the taste of wild game, has an appreciation for Esau. And Rebecca loves Jacob. That never happens anymore. I'm glad those days are over. And throughout his life, Jacob would live up to his name. See, the fact that Jacob was grabbing his brother's heel even at birth is significant because being first, being the firstborn had, had two significant privileges attached to it. The first was the birthright, which meant you were the head of the house. When dad eventually passed away, the, the headship and authority of the household would fall to the firstborn. It was the birthright. And there was also the blessing. So a father near death would gather his kids together and bless each of them verbally with the greatest blessing reserved for the last in the line. And you'd start with the youngest and go to the oldest. And the oldest would receive the greatest blessing, an affirmation and confirmation, really, of the birthright. And so from the time he was in the womb, Jacob struggled for and desired this blessing that was not his by birth. And so what he could not have by birth, he began to work for and struggle for through deception. One day, Esau comes home, this is in Genesis 25, and he's so ravenously hungry, and Jacob has created this wonderful stew, and Esau sells Jacob his birthright just 
for some stew. So Esau swears this oath, selling that birthright that belonged to him, all for some stew, which makes you wonder if Esau was all really there. <laughs> and years later, when Isaac was old and almost blind, he called his favorite son Esau and he says, you know, before I die, I really want to be able to pass on to you my blessing. And so go out and catch me that food that I really like, bring it back and prepare it for me before I die. And so Esau leaves. Rebecca, the mom, hears the conversation. She's aware that back a few chapters earlier, many years earlier in real life, she's uh, heard from the Lord that the, the younger will rule over the older in her womb. And so now this is a moment of crisis because Jacob is about to bless uh, Esau, or sorry, Isaac is about to bless Esau, but now something must be done. And so Rebecca takes it into her own hands, and perhaps you remember the story of Jacob going in, wearing hair, goat's hair on his arms, so he smells and, and clothes of his brother, creates this stew, and blind Isaac has to, is deceived and prays the blessing, confirming the birthright on Jacob as Esau's out hunting. And when Esau comes back, well, not so happy, a little bit upset. And he says something very interesting. He says, no wonder his name is Jacob. Whoa, what's he saying? He's rightly named. He's a cheater. He's a deceiver. No wonder his name is Jacob. His identity goes before him. He is rightly named. And Esau holds a grudge against his brother and promises that when dad is gone, Jacob will face the music. Great family reunions they had, I bet. Family tension? Uh-huh. And Isaac uh, and Rebecca make this decision that Jacob will head away, and he goes off to the neighboring land of Haran, where his relative Laban lived, and Jacob leaves, he goes there, there he meets Rachel, who he falls in love with, and he agrees to work for his uncle Laban for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And then the deceiver himself is deceived because, if you remember the story, on the wedding night when Rachel or when uh, Jacob is in the tent in the dark with Rachel doing what married couples do in the dark in a tent on their wedding night, the morning comes, and lo and behold, it is. Leah, Rachel's sister. Somebody should have turned the lights on. Ever heard of a candle? LED, perhaps. No, poor Jacob finds himself on the other end of the deception. Well, he agrees to work another seven years, and so Rachel is given to him as well. So now he has two wives, one of which he really didn't want, now the family blessing of family dysfunction has been passed to the next generation. Thank God we don't do that anymore either. And the deceiver continues his ways. He, over, the, over time, uh, swindles, really, swindles Laban out of the best herds of his flock through a very deceptive way of creating and breeding the strongest herds. He's a great businessman if you're not into ethics. 
and Jacob is living this life, and then comes this word from the Lord, go back to the land that you came from. Oh, and I will be with you, is the promise of the Lord. So go back there, and Jacob agrees. He packs up his household and his flocks and herds and his family, and off they head. And on the way, he hears the news that Esau, his brother, is on his way with a welcome party of 400 men. And guess what goes through Jacob's mind? I am up the proverbial subsidiary without any means of propulsion. I am in deep trouble. Something's going to give. And I don't want to meet Esau. So he comes up with this plan. He divides up his household into numerous pockets. So it kind of spreads them out so that if one of those family sections are attacked, the others can get away. He sends gifts of herds and flocks ahead of him to meet Esau on the way and to say, Hey, things are, here's what I think of you, brother. You're awesome. Can I cook you some stew, perhaps? I'll do whatever it takes And the night before the encounter is about to happen, here's what takes place. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. The same night he arose, took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob, the cheater-deceiver, was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Cheater. Deceiver, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Interesting story. Jacob's, by the way, Danny's great painting up here, of this moment where actually you almost get this sense that God has shown up in this moment, and it's only as the wrestling match goes on and on that Jacob realizes he's up against something more than just a man, and, and that in the midst of this, Jacob's pent-up frustration and fear and the years of being a deceiver and a cheater are culminating in this moment, and he actually seems to be prevailing against God. Danny's got it right. Jacob's on top. Because it's when 
this strange wrestling guest realizes that he won't prevail, it's then that he hits the hip socket. Have you ever, have you ever realized or remembered a time when you've wrestled in the depths of your being with everything in your life, with all the stuff going on, with perhaps the years of stuff that you've suppressed, lies you believed, things that you've done, cheating and deceiving, living out whatever it is your name is, and it all comes to roost. And in frustration, you wrestle with God. And I think this is what's happening with Jacob. He's wrestling, and it's physical. God has shown up because there's a special plan for Jacob's life. And in that moment, it appears as if God is allowing him to win. But God never, never, never wrestles with us to get us to a point where he can say, There, I gotcha. I win. Just wanted to prove it to you. Mm -mm. God wrestles with us and God wrestled with Jacob to bring him to the place of brokenness, to the place of blessing, to the place where Jacob could become someone new. And what's really interesting is that in this moment, as Jacob is wrestling, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. He realizes he's wrestling with somebody greater than just some guy, right? I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And what does the, this angel of God, God himself, what does this, what does this being ask? If, if, you were, if, you, if you were wrestling with God and you would say, okay, I want you to bless me, what, what would you long for God to say? Well, what happens in this moment is that the Lord asks a question, what's your name? Whoa, I didn't realize this was like a naming contest. No, what's God getting at? Jacob's greatest longing is the blessing which he thought he had by deception. But all those years of trying to live it out, all those years of playing with things and deceiving others and building up his flocks and herds and su succeeding at least at an external eye view, left him with no blessing at all. And now at this moment where just the next day he could be, his goose could be cooked because Esau is coming. He realizes he's, he, has, he has nothing and he is what he is. Cheater! What is your name? And I wish we could hear the wit. Jacob said it. Because I don't think he said it with any pride whatsoever. My name is Cheater. And the blessing of God on Jacob's life in that moment is not more flocks and herds, is not even necessarily a promise that Esau is not going to lop his head off. The blessing that God gives to Jacob is a new identity, a new modus operandi. Your name is now Israel. You've striven with God. You've overcome. And is this not, friends, what we're all secretly longing for? This place in our lives where everything that was our identity, 
that has become our identity, that we've trumped up as our identity, that others have labeled us with, is changed and transformed into what God thinks of us. And this becomes the great blessing on Jacob's life because only God can transform us and take us from what we once were to who he intends and needs us to be. I'm wondering this morning if what you wrote down as your name, your identity, if you were really honest, were you really honest with what you think your name is? If it reflected what you really thought about yourself, if it reflected who you really knew you were, would it be what you wrote down? And if in that moment of being very honest and wrestling with God, you know that your only hope is a new name, are you willing to let God wrestle with you until you're ready to receive it? And so perhaps your name is not deceiver or cheater, but maybe it's greedy, selfish, wounded, abused, hurting, angry, or maybe you're so angry it's just PO'd. Maybe it's apathetic, wandering, proud. All that and a slice of cheese. The externals may look good. The flocks and herds may be in abundance. But you know that the only blessing you're really wrestling for is change. I think it's wonderful what a butterfly is it's gone through a metamorphosis, right? This is a great image of, but, but you, have you ever noticed that a butterfly's name changes as well? We don't call it a caterpillar with wings or a cocoonless flying what once was a worm. No, it has a new identity. It's no longer caterpillar. It is butterfly. We have renamed it because it's something other. And that's what happens to us when the blessing of God comes into our lives. In Revelation, and we'll end here, in Revelation chapter 2, this is very interesting and peculiar word of the risen Lord Jesus to one of the churches, one of the seven churches of Revelation. So let me get my eye on it here. So the church of Pergamum, first of all, in verse 13, they're encouraged to hold fast to the name of Jesus. In other words, wrestle with me and don't let go. Hold fast to my name. To what? To my identity, to who I am, because I am. Have you ever noticed that the name of God is I am? He is. He was. He is to come. So they're encouraged, hold fast to this name. And then at the end of the encouragement to the church at Pergamum in Revelation 2, verse 17, the risen Jesus says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the one who conquers, who truly overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, in that day, a white stone was both a public ceremonial, but also a judicial emblem. It could represent freedom, could represent that you're the victor and you've won. One of the ways that would get used is you would be given a white stone with a name on it, and that would signify that you were an Olympic champion back in the old days. You were, you were a champion, and you would now be supported by the public purse because you had the stone with a name. So the risen Jesus is saying, when you've overcome and you've conquered and you've held fast to the name of Jesus, he gives you a new name, a new identity. And so in this next just little moment of silence that we're going to have and Jared and the team are going to come and just play as you ponder this. But the word in Revelation 2 there is that we'll be given a new name, one that is only really recognizable by the one who receives it. And so what I'd encourage you to do as the team plays and you have a chance just to pray and think and look back at that name of who your identity really is, would you listen carefully to the voice of the Spirit and perhaps you'll hear that new name that makes sense only to you, but it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. It'll make sense to you, the one who receives it from the Lord Jesus, from the Spirit of God, from the very one who wrestled with Jacob and gave him blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that you love us, that you wrestle with us, and that you allow us to wrestle with you, that your intention in our lives is not to pin us to the mat, and put us in our place, but it's to bring us to a point of brokenness, a readiness to name ourselves for what we are so that you can rename us for your purposes in our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've risen from the dead and that you'll give us a new name, a new name to all those who overcome by your blood, who repent and hold fast to your name. And so I pray in this moment, Lord, that you would speak into the depths of our beings, that we would consider the labels, the nicknames, and who we really are, and allow your spirit to speak to us that new name that maybe we will only and only recognize. Thank you, God. We worship you in Jesus. Amen.